0: Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along, uh, there may be one in the chairs in front of you under the seat and you could check there as well. Psalm 96. and As Dan mentioned, we are going to be uh, looking at the Psalms this summer. Uh, It's kind of a a summer Psalm series. Some people do summer in the park. We're going to do summer in the Psalms here as we uh, work through a different passage each week. And I know that in the summer people can be gone too, and we are as well from time to time. And you can listen online if you'd like to at our church website, or you can pick up CDs to follow along in the series if you are gone one week. This particular psalm is of interest to me, and you may find it familiar as well, because Psalm 96 has been the theme for our missionary moments from the time that we started as a church. It's this psalm that calls us to declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous deeds among all people. And we have taken that as a theme for our mission's uh, emphasis that we want to do that. We want to declare his glory among the nations. We want to make him known to all the peoples of the earth as God leads us. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, Listen to this psalm as I read it for us. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth, and sing to the Lord, and praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. And He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in in his truth. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this psalm written so long ago that speaks about you as our God and our King. The one that we worship and serve. The one who rules over the nations today. The one who is sovereign over all that happens in our world and in our life. And you are a good God. A just and holy and righteous God. And one day all the earth will see you and know that you alone are God. Father, we thank you for that. Help us to live in such a way that our lives reflect that truth every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you ever get discouraged when you watch the evening news or listen to the news on the radio? I know some people I've talked to have gotten to the point where they kind of turn it off altogether. They just avoid it. Because it's not just the news of wars that we hear about or fighting or conflict in our world. We hear about environmental disasters. We hear about kidnappings or abductions. We hear about problems with illnesses or medical issues. We hear about rising gas prices and things that are going on all over the world. I like what David Wells said about that. He said, you know, man was never made to be omniscient. We weren't made to know all of those things because we can't quite handle all of that, can we? We're more limited. We have our own concerns in our community, with our family, with the people that we know that weigh on our heart as well. And so there are times when we look at what's going on in our world and we just feel overwhelmed. And we wonder, will it ever change? You know, will we ever have peace in our world? Well, the answer of this psalm is yes, we will there is hope for the world. And we wait for that day when all the nations will know that God alone is our King. We believe that David wrote this psalm to celebrate the uh, coming of the ark into Jerusalem for the very first time. Uh, They were bringing the ark from the home of Obed-Edom into Jerusalem. This was before the temple had been built when David instructed that it should be brought into the city. A tent had been set up uh, the whole story is told in First Chronicles 15 and 16. And this psalm is used there. And David was so excited about the Lord's coming into Jerusalem and the ark being brought in that he danced before the Lord. He rejoiced in this because he understood that the ark was a symbol of the King of all kings coming into the city of Jerusalem. And he wrote this psalm as a call to all the nations to praise the Lord as our God and King. It is all about the King. And you'll see that in the outline that we're going to use this morning. It's an outline that I've taken from Derek Kidner in his Tyndale Old Testament commentary series. This psalm is about the King's glory, and we see that in verses 1 to 6. And the psalmist calls us here to sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise His name. God delights in our singing. He delights in our worship of Him and the fact that it is repeated three times is done for emphasis. In Hebrew, that's the way of expressing a superlative, like this is the most important thing that we are to do in our worship is to come and to lift Him up and to sing His praise. And it calls us here to sing to the Lord a new song. That doesn't mean that God doesn't like old songs too. He likes it when we tell of His glory and the things that He has done in the past and You'll see that in the Psalms where they recount His events through Moses and the Exodus or go back to the time of Abraham. But when He says, sing to the Lord a new song, it is a reminder that we are to tell of what God is doing today. What's He doing in your life? What are you learning from Him? How have you seen Him at work in your world, in answering prayer or moving among the people that you are concerned about? God rejoices in that. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praise of His people. He dwells among us when we come to gather and when we worship Him. One day, the Bible tells us that God will also rejoice and sing over us. To me, that is one of the most remarkable thoughts in Scripture. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is with you, and He is mighty to save, and He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. And He will rejoice over you with singing. I love to hear a good soloist sing with clarity in their voice and just how it expresses um, just wonderful praise to God. But I can't imagine hardly what it's going to be like when the Father sings to us. What kind of voice and sound will that be like that fills all of heaven with His glory and His greatness? When I think about this psalm and what it is teaching us, there are certain application points that come to mind for me. One of them is this, that we are to keep our relationship with God fresh. We aren't to live in the past. Memories are great of what God has done in our life in the past, and they are an encouragement to us. But it's important for us to stay current and fresh in our relationship with God. That's why we need to be in the Word. That's why we need to be using our gifts in ministry and praying and seeing God at work in our life. All of those are important ways that we keep our relationship with Him fresh so that when we come to worship on Sunday, there is that sense of joy in our heart and we're delighted in what God has been doing in our life. A couple of weeks ago, I was at the men's retreat and that was just a wonderful time for those of us that were able to gather there. Um, The team that worked on planning for it, Pastor Ron and Ron Backus, Kevin Spading and others, I know were involved in that, they did a great job setting it up and kind of laying out a time where there was some structure and a lot of free time. The speaker was good. He challenged us to be men of God and to be good husbands and fathers. And on Sunday morning, we had a time in our cabin where we were just sitting around and we had a cup of coffee and we were talking and... Some of the guys were telling fish stories. You know, we had a couple hours before breakfast, and so guys were just talking about the fishing and how cold it was the night before, how big the waves were, and all of those things. And then I asked them the question. I said, well, what do you think about what the speaker has been sharing this weekend? And one by one, the men started to open up. And some of the guys shared, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't have a dad that was a good role model for me, and I'm struggling with how to do this. And other guys who had worked through that issue began to share what God had done in their heart. And what you saw was people who were maybe just a couple steps ahead in the journey, talking to somebody else who was struggling and asking questions, and guys were just being honest, talking from their heart. It was a wonderful time when God showed up and worked in the lives of those who were there, and we all knew it. And I said to those men, I said, you know, this is one of the values of a retreat like this. Because where else do we actually take the time to sit down and talk? Where else do you have a couple hours to just kind of talk about what's going on in your life and what you're feeling? We don't do that. We come on Sunday morning, you know, and we come to worship when we meet in this corporate way. And there's not a time in this setting for us to talk personally. And sometimes people come on Sunday morning and they look at everybody else and they go like, everybody else has got their life together. And I feel like i got this big pain or I'm hurting here when the truth is that all of us have issues and things we're working on. And we all have stories too. Stories of what God has done and how we have changed and grown through the years and we need to share those. And in that heart-to-heart kind of connection, There were men who understood that there were other men who know exactly what they're going through. And we are here for you. We are here for one another. It's those kind of times that are an evidence of God's presence in our life. And we see Him work in power to change and to help us grow. And it brings joy to our heart. This passage also reminds us that praise and proclamation are to go together. And we see that in verses 2 and 3. He calls us to worship, and then He calls us to proclaim His salvation day after day and to declare His glory among the nations. We know that that proclamation starts right where we live. It's in our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so God has called all of us, we know from the New Testament, to be His witnesses right where we live. And if there is a song in our heart, it will overflow in our lives. We can't contain it when there's joy in our heart. And if we're really excited about our relationship with God, we are going to want to tell somebody. I had a woman in our church tell me a few weeks ago too about how God had brought her to faith in Christ and through the ministry of the church and what He had done in her life. And now when she came here, she heard, heard us talking about having a personal relationship with Christ and she was wondering what does that mean to know God personally and how do you do that? And what's that, what's that talking about? There was a little different kind of terminology than maybe what she had grown up hearing. Church seemed more formal. It was sort of you go to church and that's what you do. What does it mean to know God personally and have that kind of relationship with Jesus where you can talk to Him like a friend? And it was through a process of Bible studies and conversations with different people, and then finally one day all of that came together as she came to the worship service. It was a Sunday when Pastor Ron was speaking and shared the gospel. And that day God spoke to her heart, the light went on, and she understood. And she said for the next two weeks she was walking around, her heart was filled with joy, and she just wanted to tell somebody what God had done. That is the way that it should be for all of us. When there's joy in our heart and we understand what God has done in our life and what He has saved us from, we should want to tell others. This verse is really the Great Commission in the Old Testament. It's like Matthew 28:18 through 20. It calls us to go to the nations and to bring His truth to the people who have never heard about Him so that they might become His disciples. It's why all of us are here. It's why God has left us in this world to be His witnesses. And verses 4 to 6 remind us that there is only one God. There is no other. And I know that in our world today, that is not politically correct to say that there is only one God and there is only one way to heaven. But that's what the Bible teaches. I know that it is offensive to many we don't say that in an offensive way. We say what the Bible teaches. But that's the truth of what it proclaims. The psalmist tells us that the gods of the nations are idols. And in Hebrew, there is actually a pun here in the wording. Because the word for God and the word that's used here for idols means they are nothing. The gods, Elohim, are nothing, Elohim. But the Lord made the heavens. Paul repeats that in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, when he said, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. When we look at the nations and we see parts of the world where idolatry is so common, people live in fear of idols. They live in fear of the God of the stream or the river or the wind or the rain. They live in fear of gods that may be inhabiting certain places around them, and their whole life is spent trying to appease these gods. They don't know a god that loves them and cares for them. They instead fear these kind of spirits or gods and feel like they have to do these things in order to somehow bring peace to their life. They don't worship them out of joy. They do these things out of fear. And it keeps them in slavery and it keeps people in poverty because of it. I know that some of the missionaries that we have supported have told how when a family might just get a little bit ahead or have a little bit of money, they feel like they have to give that to this idol or this temple or this place in order to appease those false gods. And what the Bible is telling us here is there is only one God. And He is the Creator of all. He's the Creator of the heavens and the earth, and that's why the nations need to hear about Him. But This is the God who loves us, who sent His Son to be our Savior. The passage goes on to talk about the King's due in Psalm 96, verses 7-9. to It calls us to ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. What does that mean? What does that word ascribe mean? We have it up here on our banners today as we think about the Psalms. Uh, this word ascribe literally means that we are to give credit to whom credit is due. That's what this Psalm is calling us to do. To ascribe something to someone means that we are giving credit to to whom that credit is due. In Psalm 29, these words are repeated in the same format, except in Psalm 29, it is the angels who are called to give glory to God. You mighty ones who do His bidding, praise Him and worship Him. But in Psalm 96, three times again, it is the nations that are called to give glory to God. What are we to give Him? And what does it mean when it says we are to give him the glory? That's the first thing it calls us to do, is to give him glory here. And that word in Hebrew is the word kavod, and it refers to something that is weighty or heavy, something that had great importance. That's what glory referred to. When we think of God's glory, it is all that he is but it also refers to His importance in our life and in our world. We are to recognize that. That apart from Him, we can do nothing. That He alone is worthy of our worship. That He's the one who is our King, our Sovereign, that we are to follow. Recently, I've been listening to some messages given by a man named Vishal Mangalwadi. He is from India, and he is a Christian thinker, probably the leading apologist and thinker in India. Uh, He is a person who studied with Francis Schaeffer, and some of you may know Francis Schaeffer from his ministry at Labrie, just a tremendous uh, intellectual uh, who helped to uh, give focus and shape and defense to Christianity in our world. Vishal gave a series of lectures at the University of Minnesota uh, not too long ago. And in that series of lectures, he was talking about this question. He was asking the question, how has the Bible and Christianity influenced and shaped the development of Western civilization? And why did the West develop as it did, giving such freedom and in turn bringing prosperity to the world, when it's relatively new compared to other cultures like India and China? What was there in Christianity that influenced the development of our world so much? And what is there in Christianity that's different from Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam that is liberating and freeing for people? And here's a man who gives credit to God for the blessings that we have received and often take for granted. And he shared about it in different ways. That one of the reasons why uh, Americans and why uh, those in Europe developed the kind of freedom and prosperity that they did was because of the value that the Bible places upon each person. That we are made in the image of God, and every person has dignity and worth in God's sight. He said, even today, you can look at India, and you can go to a construction site, and you might see them working with heavy machinery. And at the same time, they have women and children who are carrying bricks on their head, doing menial labor. Why? It's not necessary. Why do they do that? It's because they look at women and children very differently. They have a caste system. If you're born into a certain caste that's in a lower caste, that's, uh, that's the place that you're going to stay in all of your life, and you can't change that. And maybe if you're a good person in this life, you'll be reincarnated and be able to come back as a man in your next life or in a higher caste. They don't believe in a personal God who loves them. Their God is an impersonal force in the world. So how do you get to know Him or why would you? And the result is that people are kept in slavery, in bondage to so these kind of things. Whereas in the West, because of the biblical world view, men and women and children were viewed differently. It's why we develop things like child labor laws or women's suffrage or the abolition of slavery in our world. And yes, there were struggles and challenges and maybe some of those things didn't come as quickly as we would have liked. But there was that driving force behind that because of a biblical worldview. And another emphasis that came out of Christianity was the sense of calling. That all of us have a calling from God and are gifted, and we have a vocation where we could serve and do that to the glory of God. And so it gave importance to the individual and to the gifts that each one has. That's how the body of Christ is the work, too, when we join together using our gifts for God's glory. And so we come, and here is a man who recognizes that our world was shaped and given those freedoms by the hand of God. And sometimes it takes someone outside of our culture to see what we really have and point it out to us. Well, secondly, the psalmist calls us to give God our offerings. And our offerings include many things. It begins with ourself. That's the most important thing we are to give to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy." To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We are to give God ourselves, first of all, when we come. But we are also to give Him our gifts and our offering. In Deuteronomy 16, the Scripture said, that no man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you should bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And we are all to come when we come before the Lord with something that we are going to give Him in our worship. Ourselves, our gifts, our praise, our worship. And today, often, we turn that around. We come to get something. We come on a Sunday morning uh, expecting to receive maybe teaching or knowledge, something that we can take away. We come hoping to be inspired or encouraged. We come wanting to leave with a good feeling. But what we do, if that's what we're thinking about when we come on Sunday morning, and if we make that the only thing that we are thinking about, then we make worship about me when worship is about God. And it's not that we don't want you to be blessed. And it's not that we don't come wanting to be fed or taught or encouraged. But that's not what worship is all about. Worship is about God. And we come to bring Him something. And so let me ask you as an application this morning, what did you bring to God this morning? When you came today, were you thinking about that? And I think that would be a great application for all of us to think about. When we come on Sunday morning to worship, what are we bringing to God today? Did we give Him ourselves? Did we come with a praise for answered prayer? Did we come with thanks for His provision for our jobs, for our family, for the relationships that we have? Did we come with an offering that we brought Him today, recognizing that all that we have has come from His hand? That's what worship is about. And Father, forgive us for making it about me and making it about my needs when it's really about you. And thirdly, this passage talks about the King's coming in verses 10 to 12. He reminds us that the Lord reigns today. And even though it may not look like it at times in our world or we see the presence of evil and we see conflict and struggles and the evidences of sin everywhere, God is still in control. And He is waiting Patiently, for the day when He will send His Son again to come to establish His kingdom on the earth. And the Bible tells us the only reason He delays is to give us time to repent so that more and more people might come into a relationship with Him. In Isaiah 40, verses 21 to 24, it expresses His sovereignty when it says, Do you not know and have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? And have you not understood since the earth was founded that He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers? He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground, than He blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. God is sovereign. He raises up one and brings down another. He is there in the changes of leadership and the changes in countries. He is sovereign over the big things and the small things in our world. He was sovereign over the American Revolution and the Civil War. He was sovereign over Pearl Harbor and D-Day. He was sovereign over the fall of the Berlin Wall and the terror attacks on 9-11. He's sovereign over global warming and natural disasters. He's sovereign over the economic conditions in our country. But he is also sovereign over the little things, an unexpected gift, finding something that was lost, an answer to a child's prayer. The Bible tells us that even the very hairs on your head are numbered, and he knows them all. It is amazing to me. There is nothing too great that God does not know about and it is not in control of, but there is also nothing too small that he does not see or notice or care about. The Lord reigns. Say that with me. The Lord reigns. That is intended to give us comfort in our heart. That there is a God who knows us personally, who cares and understands what's going on in our world. That God is different than the gods that are worshipped in other religions, that are taught about, that are really, as the Bible says, no gods at all. Because the Lord made the heavens. And He's the Creator of all that we see. The Lord will reign over the nations in the future. There is a day coming when Christ will return. And when that day comes, the Bible tells us that all of creation will rejoice. This passage calls upon the heavens to rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. It calls upon all of creation to join in celebrating this King who is going to come again one day. We get a small glimpse of that on Palm Sunday, if you think about it. In Palm Sunday, on that day when Jesus rode in triumph into the city of Jerusalem, He came in fulfillment of prophecy, riding on a donkey into that city. And the people recognized what was going on and they began to shout, Hosanna to the Son of David, the King of Israel. And even the children cried out their praise. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, did not like that. They were angry. They rebuked Jesus and they said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And what did Jesus say? He replied and He said, I tell you that if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's a day coming when all of creation will rejoice when the king returns. Romans eight nineteen through 22 in that passage Paul tells us that all creation waits in eager expectation for the return of the king and the day when the sons of God will be revealed. For on that day, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay as a result of sin. And this world that is very beautiful indeed will even be more beautiful when God makes all things new. He tells us here that the Lord will rule. He will rule the world in fairness. That's what equity means. He will rule in righteousness. He will do the right thing. And he will rule in truth having full knowledge of everything that is going on. It won't be like judges today who are given sometimes just partial knowledge and have to make assumptions or rule based on the limited information that they know. No, here will be a king who knows everything. A king who does what is right always. And a king who is fair and impartial. Isaiah 2 Verse 4 says, He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Imagine that day. Wow, what a great day that will be. May it come soon. The Bible tells us the Lord reigns. Let us give Him our worship. Let us give Him our offering. And let us give Him the glory that is due His name. Amen. Amen.